Oh my 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 what you done to me Like lightning when I'm swimming in the sea From the very first time we love From the very first time we touch Walking on wires and power lines you put your Trying body to on top of mine Every time that you lift me up <laughs> I can't the heavens gonna happen Let's see what happens Oh Lord have mercy I'm begging you please I'm feeling drained I need love you charge me It's a first like It is I love it I love it Good stuff, good stuff. Uh, welcome back, Geoholics, episode 188. 188. 12 away from 200, if you can believe that. The big two zero. zero. Amazing. I mean, we still got to figure out what we're going to do for that episode. Uh, it's going to be something special. I haven't figured it out yet. Maybe we should have a, like a, a party here at the studio. Invite all our closest friends. Okay, so. Fly anybody in that wants to come. <laughs> Easy now. The uh, end of Geoholic's fiscal year is approaching, and uh, our accountant may have an issue with what you just Mix said. Mix that last part. <laughs> oh, man. What's new with you, bud? Oh, man. Not a whole lot. No? Um, you know, just in the dog days of, of summer, I guess, still here. Uh, mm, you know, business yeah. is crazy. It's that time where... Yep. Everyone's staring at the end of the year, and it's it, it's been it's been nuts. But, uh, you know, school started, and, yep. you know, life is just kind of on cruise control right now. Awesome. What about knock, you? What's knock, on, knock on stone. I actually saw you out at dinner the other night. We bumped into each other. We bumped into each other socially. Yep. Uh, it, it was it was pleasant. Yep, yep. Got to see our, your lovely our, wife. Our again. wives exchanged pleasantries. Adorable daughter. Of course. Yep, yep. It was good to see you. I all. can say she was the only one below... 20 in that restaurant. <laughs> yep, absolutely. Um, as for me, let's see. Two things I want to talk about real quick. Okay. First of all, you know, with my with my job, I do a fair amount of traveling every other week. You know, I go to California. So mm -hmm. I meet a lot of people uh, during my travels. And I stay at the same hotel every time. And it, it seems to be a hotel where a lot of flight attendants stay, that type of thing, and pilots. Transients. Trans what? Transients. Transients, I suppose. Um, and it's, they have a happy hour. And one of the reasons I stay there is because they have free beer from like five to seven. What? Yes. Yes. Really? So I, that's why I stay there. And they have like this lounge area in the lobby and stuff. So anyways, long story short, uh, I was there last night, as a matter of fact, you know, having a couple beers, some flight attendants there and this one guy. And we all started talking, you know, of course. And um, this one guy, he's like, you'll know me as the Hunger Games flight attendant. What? And I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, the Hunger Games flight attendant. He goes, Google it. Google it. And so, of did. course, I did. Hunger Games flight attendant. Here's his picture. And apparently, this picture went viral and got, like, over 2 million views or something like that. So, anyways, I thought it was pretty funny. Okay. And uh, the other thing is, I know everyone is clamoring for a CPAP update. Oh, everybody's clapping. I mean, I can tell you how many people have been desperate for I'm your CPAP. I'm getting messages update. left and right. How's the CPAP going? Okay. So I had my follow up appointment today, right? And so prior to using a CPAP machine, uh -huh. I would stop breathing 80 times in an hour. 
<laughs> that's more than yeah. That's like more than one a minute. Well, that's why my doctor's like you could fuck. Well, no, she didn't say fucking die, but she's like you could die at that rate. So, anyways, I've had the CPAP for a month. Uh-huh. Had my follow up today, and it monitors everything. Yeah. And they get the report yeah. uh-huh. actually, whatever. And she goes, Kent. She goes, you have to realize you went from stop breathing eighty sometimes an hour to three. Well, that's phenomenal. It's phenomenal. And I'm notice, I notice you feel like... I feel so much better. Uh, you have a little bit more, better energy. More energy. Not less, but yes. just better. Better, absolutely. Absolutely. So all good news. That, that's really so, good. Yeah. yeah. So for, for those of you that have been concerned, there you go. Go get a sleep study. Check 100%. it out if you you know if you think it can't hurt is the is the message there. It could change your life. It could. Yep. Uh, one other announcement. Excuse me, real quick. We have a new friend of the program. Oh, we do. That's right. Juniper Systems. Juniper has jumped on board as a friend of the program. Very very excited and appreciative to have them. A little bit about them. Their founder is Ron Campbell, and he is still actively involved in the company. Actually, and a little bit about the company. They are an industry leading provider of ultra-rugged data collectors, precision GPS receivers, and niche market software solutions. They take pride in quality of their products and customer service. To find out more about Juniper Systems, please go to junipersys.com. Outstanding. We're going to do some cool stuff with those guys. It sounds like it. Looking forward to it. Tell us about that opening number. Okay. Uh, new one for, for us and definitely going to be a welcome uh, add to the playlist. Uh, that was a, a group called Full Trunk. Song is Powerful. Full Trunk is an exciting, energetic, and virtuoso band from Israel that mm-hmm. consists of four members. I'm going to butcher these. Gal Nisman on guitar and singer, Offer Vayner on bass, Ariel Keshet on keyboards, and Yotam Elazari on drums. You did as good as you could possibly do. That's all I can say. <laughs> the combination between their music and their stage charisma creates an unforgettable live performance every time. Their role models are Led Zeppelin, the Black Keys, the Doors, all the usuals. The band was awarded the Song of the Year 2022 by three of the major radio stations in Israel. This is another perfect example. If you are a guest on the Geoholics, you get to have input on the music that we use. Uh-huh. And then every song that we use gets added to our Spotify playlist. Yes. So if you're on Spotify, check out the Geoholics playlist. It has every song from every episode in chronological order, as a matter of fact. That's pretty exciting. Tons of great music on there. All right, we are in the Diamondback Landsurveying Studio, and um, another quick announcement: we're going to be at the RE Plus show. Oh yes, we in are Vegas here in a couple a little of weeks. bit of a last minute ad, Not a last minute ad. Yep, but, yeah, but we'll um, be there. TK obviously he lives in Vegas, and uh, we're going to see him. I can't wait to see him. It's been a while since we've caught up. I am excited to see TK. Yep. Nice guy. And I also checked out their website today, and I believe it's had some really cool updates. So make sure you check out the Diamondback Land Surveying Studio simply at diamondbacklandsurveying.com. Absolutely. Oh, we are moving along, buddy. We are. Next up, the Airworks. Airworks, somewhat random trivia. What you got, buddy? Uh, this is uh, less somewhat random and very... Uh, a very topic, yeah, uh, tied in with our with our guests this evening. A uh, little bit about underground utilities. Mm. Um, every sixty two seconds, there is an underground utility strike in the United States, causing more than two thousand injuries and four hundred deaths. It's horrible. The data shows that that was an estimated thirty billion in societal costs that are directly resulting from damages to critical underground infrastructure. Um, 
And obviously people know underground infrastructure is not just sewer and water. Mm -hmm. There's power. There's also a lot all of communication that's underlying yeah. all those dry utilities. If you add all those utility lines together, that's more than 20 million miles of utility lines. Wow. That's equivalent of 107 of, of a 107 yard football field. So almost a full and back of end zone to back of end zone for every man, woman, and child in the country. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. This year alone, 38 million individuals will dig into the ground without marking utility lines. Hmm. Not good. And uh, also this year, 25% of the damage that occurs to these lines will result in an individual not calling to confirm lo the location. And 15% of the damage will be caused by someone believing that the digging they are doing will not be deep enough to cause any damage. Wouldn't it be great to have like a resource of some type, you like know a one-stop shop where you can just go there and like put a window around where you're working and it just and, spits out all the utilities you, that are there? Wouldn't it be incredible? It would. Man, oh man. It'd be cool if somebody put something like that together. It really would. It really would. Well, we'll find out more about uh, maybe, maybe. this yeah. here in a few minutes, I yeah, believe. Yeah. Um, okay. So we are at the Advanced Genetic AGS better known as weekly words of wisdom what do you got this week so um over my travels this time you know i always listen to podcasts or whatever and i was listening to my good friend joe rogan and um he had post malone on right okay yeah great yeah. great episode. post post first of all they talked for four and a half hours really a four and a half hour podcast <laughs> we've got to do something like that sometime i don't know if that's possible oh my god it'd be amazing though wouldn't it yeah my, my kent tank is about two hours and then, then it gets too full <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> yeah 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 all right so anyways this is a, a post malone quote okay okay from the show he said everyone's goal should be to act like a kid forever and have fun at whatever it is you're doing Okay. I, I, I like that. You can jump on that. Very simple. Yeah, sure. Right? And it goes right along with the fact that my wife calls me her five-year-old. Yeah, I don't think that's for the same related. reason that he's, you know, he's doing it as an aspirational, this is how you should approach your life. Yeah. She's saying it in not a good way. <laughs> and, and she's saying that so you're, it's not a compliment. It's not a compliment. <laughs> it, it's the, the exact opposite. Oh but if gosh. you would like to take that part of being a child as being innocent and naive, go right ahead. I think I will. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's get our guests in here. We have Stephanie, Joe, and Roz with us. Yes. And I'm going to let them do some real brief self-introductions. Uh, this is presented by XYHT. XYHT guests presented by XYHT Magazine. Absolutely. Stephanie, Joe, and Roz. So real quick, brief self-introductions, name, uh, who you work for, and what you do, and let's go with uh, your first car, whatever that was. Uh, right. Joe, you go first. Yeah, gentlemen, thanks for having us. Uh, I'm assuming you can hear me okay at this point? Yep, all good. Yeah, yeah we're good. Great. Uh, so Joe Everly, uh, nice to meet you. Uh, nice to meet you all. And uh, a little bit about me. Let's start with the most important thing, which was my first car. So 1963 Chevy two station wagon. Oh, was six, nice. Six, 16 years old. Uh, I had uh, been washing dishes as one of my first jobs. Managed to save myself $500 and went out and uh, the old school way, found this uh, car in the newspaper, gave him a call, and sure enough, uh, went out there and bought it for $500. That's awesome. That is awesome. <laughs> that that, that thing was a tank, right? 
It was a very, uh, yes, it was a tank. It had the straight six engine in it. So yep. like a 223 Chevy yep. straight six engine. And uh, six months later, here's the end of the story. Um, he's still caught on fire. Caught on fire. Okay. And uh, pulled it over the side <clears throat> of the road. Took the uh, took the license plates off of it and walked away from it. And it ended up somebody picked it up and hauled it off for me. So. Oh my God, that is awesome. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So talk talk about who you're with, what you do. Sure. Uh, 4M Analytics is the name of our company. Uh, I'm the vice president of our go-to-market efforts here in North America. And uh, we'll get into a little bit about uh, the, what's interesting about what we're doing here at, at 4M. But for me, uh, what I love about working with 4M is uh, we are transforming uh, many things in the industry, and that's very, very exciting. And then I'll just add on what I also love about uh, working at 4M is uh, the ability to help uh, my teammates like Stephanie and Roz advance their careers. So I've been around a little while. I've been in construction technology for nearly 20 years now. And uh, I get the opportunity to help Stephanie and Roz and others on the team grow their careers. So at some point I can sail off into the sunset. I love it. I love it. And I have to mention that Joe is also a fellow Saluki. I heard you guys talking about this. So and it's he's inherently an overachiever. Oh yeah, yeah. We'll go with we'll go with that. And I I, I, I also right. know how to party, right? Coming from. Uh, and there you go. That's what I really will counts. echo that. Yep. I will echo that. <laughs> oh man, we're, we're gonna have to get some proof sometime. Uh, Stephanie, you're up next. Uh, my name is Stephanie. I'm also known as the self-named utility unicorn. So following up on that post Malone, if you're not having fun, you're not living your life. So um, I am the regional account executive yeah. for him. And uh, I've been with the company for a year now, and I feel like I hit the, the job lottery. Um, this company's awesome, and it's amazing to work for a company that's first in class, best in class. So happy to be with you guys tonight. Very excited to have you, Roz. Wait, I want to put Steph as a spot. What's your first car? Oh, yeah. That's oh, nice. yeah. Good point. Good shot, Roz. Um, this is great. A job, 1989 guys. Crown. <laughs> <laughs> 1989 Crown Victoria called Vicky or the Silver Bullet. Another big Ooh, car. I love that. I bought love it that from crown my Vicks. grandpa. <laughs> I bought it from my love grandpa. <laughs> It's great. It's great. All right, Roz. Yeah, I'm very happy to be here with you guys. Thank you for the opportunity. My name is Roz Ezra. I'm based in Austin, Texas, and I'm coming from Israel, which I guess this is the reason why you picked Full Trunk, which is my favorite band, by the way. Um, It'd be related. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. Yeah. So I moved uh, about 13 months ago with my two crazy boys and wife uh, to the United States uh, to reestablish our headquarters over here. Uh, Forum Analytics, uh, which I serve as a senior director of uh, enterprise sales and strategic partnerships with Forum. And as a matter of fact, I had the great honor to co-establish the company, which happened about four, four and a half years ago with some of the co-founders. So, um, yeah, so that's really quickly about myself. Car, by the way, first car or vehicle I drove was a Puma, which is sort of a tank in the military before I uh, jumped to the officer course. So, Oh, wow. Ooh, yeah. that might be the first 
the first tank and he would have said that's the first car they drove. I do have one share one story that comes to mind, uh, going back to Joe's uh, station wagon. Okay. Uh, buddy of mine growing up at that same time, 16, 17 years old, also had a station wagon. Oh, really? Okay. So we cut the top off the car. Okay. So it was like a convertible station wagon. Okay. I can see. I, I know where you're going here. But eventually, you, you loaded so many people on there, it affected the structural integrity of the car. <laughs> so not that very long after that, it started to like sag in the middle. Okay. It only lasted a short time, but man, we had a lot of fun in that thing. Uh, I have a similar story. Nice. Um, I used to work at a, uh, it was a diner and a, uh, it had a, a playground like we did birthday parties. So it had like a big playground and a big ball pit. Yeah. Well, I also knew where we had all the extra balls from the ball pit, huh? and my buddy had a had a two door Bronco yep. that we took the back seat out. Nice, and we put a piece of cardboard in between the two front seat and filled the whole thing with balls from the ball pit, and we just ride around and give people rides in the ball pit the in ball the Bronco in the Bronco. That's great. Yeah. That is awesome. Well, before we get into like the the heart of the matter, let's talk about 4M a little bit, and you know just like. Tell us a little more about the company. What's what's life at 4M like? And Raz, I'll let you go first. Wow. Um, so, you know, I just sat yesterday with um, with a couple of customers uh, and grabbed a beer together. And they asked me, how would you differentiate Israelis and also particular 4M to, you know, other people we know? I said, uh, being creative, being straightforward, and being mission-oriented. Mm. Um Generally, I think that it kind of describes how Israeli Israel uh, or people think in Israel. But I will say that in 4M, this is something that will really um, speak about the culture of the company. So being very transparent and to just say everything you have in your mind, being very creative. And no matter what, if you have a mission, you got to complete it. So and it's fun, very fun working in 4M. And you're really I feel that we're really changing um, significantly. Um, a lot of important stuff that needs to change right now at the moment, and we have the way to do that. So, yep, we're going to get to that in just a second. Stephanie, you mentioned you hit the job lottery. What do you love about 4M? Uh, first of all, I love that we're doing something that nobody's ever done before. So, when you are talking to customers, it's a little bit of shock and awe. Their mouths just kind of drop, and uh, it's just really cool to be able to be on the precipice of something really huge. Um, part of the reason why I named myself the Utility Unicorn is because what we're providing people is like their unicorn. An engineering unicorn dream is like providing digital utility data is something that they've only dreamed about. It was like a mythical creature. And then when they see it in reality, they're just, it's just really cool to be a part of. Um, so that's why I love it. Very cool. Joe, you, you already told us kind of what you loved about 4M. I'm going to give you an opportunity to, uh, you know, tell everybody when somebody asks you, what, what, what does 4M do? What's your response? Yeah, what's the elevator speech? Yeah, if I were to meet you in an elevator and you asked me what I did do for a living, uh, I would say I work for a company that uh, if you've ever used Google Maps, does the same thing for under the ground. Hmm. So that's a good way to describe it. If you can okay. think about uh, think about the process, right? When somebody starts or has an idea about a new project, an infrastructure project, a water project, a transportation project, whatever it might be, 
what is one of the first things that they uh, have to do? And a lot of it goes back to what you mentioned before around risk management and damage prevention, is I need, as quickly as I can, access to what the uh, infrastructure in the utility footprint looks like in my project area. How do you do that today? Uh, well, uh, it's difficult. It takes time, it takes money, uh, and then the quality of the data that you're gonna get back is often challenging. So for us, it's really about how can we solve for time, how can we solve for quality, and how can we solve for cost and have an impact on that $30 billion uh, worth of utility damage that we record every year in the United States. And what I think the the answer is obvious, but you may have a, a different answer. Why why is what you do and what 4M does important? Yeah, well, there's a I, I suppose there's a lot of ways to sort of slice and dice that question. Uh, we know for sure that the safety factor is one of the primary drivers. You mentioned it at the beginning of the podcast. You know, there's, uh, depending on what data you're looking at, there's 200 or more, 200,000 or more utility strikes in the U.S. every year. What's the impact on it? Well, certainly we know the safety uh, and, the, and the threat that that causes uh, to the folks who are working on those projects, for sure. Uh, but then the economic impact, you think about, you know, you strike a fiber line or you strike a water line, what does that impact in terms of individuals, in residential, in schools, in businesses? Uh, so the impact is, is very, very broad. And so for us, it's really about even incrementally, if we can have a small impact on the number of utility strikes, the damage that it causes, the time that it causes, that for us uh, is a very important mission and a very important um, uh, focus that we have as a company. Gotcha. Uh, Roz, do you have anything to add to that? No, I think Joe hit the spot over there. It did. All right. Um, so how, what, what is 4M doing to solve this problem? Who wants to take that one? Yeah, Roz, Roz why yeah. don't you take that one? Yeah, let's let, even before we talk about form, let's talk a bit uh, for for a second about the problem space. So, what are we solving, and why are we solving this problem? And you kind of touched that right at the beginning. The main idea to understand here is there is no single source of reliable utility data that can help us plan projects and execute and avoid encounters with unknown utilities that can cost a lot of time, money, change delays, claims, etc., and all those stuff that we know. So, this is the problem space. Now, how do you deal with that? Because currently, there are two ways. There are two different ways uh, to deal with uh, getting a hold of utility data. One of them will be to send people to the field. Kind of obvious, right? But it takes a lot of time and money. The second technique or methodology will be to have a record research or a desk study to try to pull up any information that is available to the public. And it does make sense to use the field investigation early on in the project life cycle, but again, it takes a lot of time and money, so it doesn't really make sense. But what people do is start with record research. But hey, this data is not accurate, it's not complete, and not, it's not relevant, so what do you do? And now, this is where we come, and basically we create proactively, independently, and almost automatically, by the way, this single source of data, or of a, a database, by pulling up a lot of millions of types of records that are publicly available 
and we use them to train our algorithms uh, to get a precise location accuracy of underground and above ground lines to plan better and execute projects in the most efficient way. So, so you know, like a lot of folks use um, these call-in services to locate utilities. Like I don't know, here in Arizona, it's call 811 or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. I think it's way the same in most states. Yeah. Oh, is it? Same thing in most states. Um, so uh, what comes into play there, though, is like the, the accuracy of their marks and, and things of that nature. And uh, I'm curious how you guys go about building your database. Um, it's not survey grade accurate, I'm assuming. Um, but how, how accurate is the mapping that or is the resource that you're providing? Yeah, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll start that one, and Roz, if you want to jump in. Um, so a mark on the ground by, a, let's say, a utility locator through an 811 ticketing system or, or any other method, right, it represents a piece of data that if, if I have, let's say, an image on the ground of where that mark is in the little red or yellow or blue or green flag associated with that, what is the power of that within a platform that can analyze that, that can digitize that, and that can geo-reference that mark that's been put on the ground? Now I have a pretty good uh, uh, sense and a data point that tells me I can know where that utility is simply from the field markings. But there's, there's challenges beyond that because we know no, uh, no methodology is 100%. You're always going to have errors, you're always going to have utility, uh, utility lines in the ground that are not in the public records. So how do you solve for the errors that are inherent in the existing way of doing business? And that's what really 4M, part of what a 4M is solving and focusing on in delivering what we do in our data sets. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Joe, you touched a very good point. And, you know, about the markings, I'll ask a question to the locators in the room here. And how many times had you or did you have to go back to the field again and again to and locate and designate and mark the same lines or in the same area? What do we do with this information that is basically unrecorded? Or a different question I'll ask the project owners um, and also the civil engineering firms or the civil folks, how many times did you produce an as-built and what did you do with this ASBIT after? Yeah. Nothing. Where is it? So, and I just, you know, I just spoke with a customer several months ago. And he told me a story or a joke that I used to, I, I used to adopt uh, back in the days. He told me that he used to take, uh, or he, once he, take, he took a uh, customer, his customer, to a, to a restaurant for lunch just to get a hold or just to get the understanding of where the lines of, the, of this utility company are going on. And he spent a lot of money on this lunch over there. And he was like, okay, at the end of the lunch, okay, just tell me where's the line. And suddenly he pulled up a napkin and he was like, okay, <laughs> here's the line, there you go. What do you do with this information, right? Yeah, it's, so. it's a great point. And I know that, you know, the records that we have available to us in most cases are, they're horrible, <laughs> in all honesty, you know. Are you saying the as-built drawings are yeah. not just exactly accurate and reliable every yes. single time? I am absolutely saying oh, that. I can't believe that. Yeah. And just, I mean, across across the country, you know, I know the records for infrastructure are, are, are horrible. Well, sure. And, and, and I guess my question to this group is, you know, you don't have to spill the beans on all the how, but what what are you guys doing to collect all this and, and what 
you know, how do you present it? And like, I want to dig a little deeper of, okay, I get the utility locator, but what do you got? How do you get it in there? And what, where does it come from? Or like, give me a little more deeper dive into, in, into what, what a project or what a service would look like for, from you guys. Yeah, sure. Stephanie, maybe maybe you want to open that one up a little bit? Sure. Um, I'll reveal a little bit behind the kimono. So we spent over two years and $20 million developing an artificial intelligence conflation engine. So that conflation engine pulls from hundreds and thousands, if not millions, of publicly available sources. Some of these sources are GIS databases like federal, state, local, municipal GIS databases, utility owner service maps, previous construction GC blueprints, excuse me, as-built. We're pulling it all from a PDF environment, and then we're able to digitize it to create mm -hmm. a GIS environment. So that's what took a, a tremendous amount of time, but we're not just pulling data and turning around and, and spitting back to you publicly available records. We're actually using artificial intelligence to pick up on-surface utility features at scale. So this can pick up manholes, test holes, any type of utility poles, really anything that would indicate the presence of utility infrastructure. And lastly, and most powerfully, we're able to go back up to 70 years in time using advanced imagery. So this is satellites, drones, airplanes, car cameras, traffic cameras, and we're able to stack up those images to reveal excavation footprints of pipelines that have been placed in the field up to 70 years ago that just don't appear on public records. And we're able to do that because we see the changes in the soil conditions, changes in vegetations. We're, we are able to go through forests. We're able to peel back you know, asphalt from potholes that have been run over by um, concrete or re-asphalted over. So it's pretty powerful what we've created, and um, that's a little bit about it. So. I don't know if that answers your question. It was kind of a mouthful, but. Oh, yeah. Now, no, now we're getting into it. And I, uh, yeah. so the first of, of, of many, many questions that comes to mind from what you just said is uh, talk about the scale. Is this focused in certain areas? Is this just blanketed across all urban areas? Is this, do you, get a, you right? get a client that says, hey, I need. I need to know everything in this square mile, and then you turn the you know turn the dial on the AI machine, and it magically spits it out. Or what's the coverage area, and, and what do you have available? <clears throat> yeah, sure, I, I mean I can. Okay. Go okay. ahead, Steph. You'll do that better. No, than you know. I You're the boss. <laughs> <I'm> a... <laughs> <laughs> Don't talk over the boss. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk for a second about the mission of the company. So the mission of the company is basically to proactively map the entire United States in terms of above and underground utilities. Okay. Now, how do you do that, right? Or what's the scale we're talking about? Um, as we're speaking, we're supplying our data on demand in a turnaround of like a couple of days in all 50 states, including even Canada. But at the same time, we're proactively mapping the entire United States. And as we are up to date, we completely mapped four different states, which are Texas, California, Colorado, and Florida. We created a pace of a state per month. Every month, we are wow. releasing another state. We aim that by the end of the next year, we'll complete the map of the entire United States. Not because we will hire additional 500 employees, but because the automation is scaling up. So this is the scale we're, mm. we're talking about. Yeah, let me yeah, 
sorry, let me throw out just a couple of no, uh, just a couple of numbers to give you a sense of scale. Uh, in those four states that Roz just mentioned, uh, we have more than 20 billion linear feet of utility lines that has been collected, uh, digitized, geo-referenced, uh, and visually validated in, in our platform. And by doing that with those four states, it enables us to deliver uh, the data sets that we have in real time or near real time. So compare and contrast that with the way the, the market works today or the way these processes work today. If you draw an area uh, or you're working in an area of a project, it may have 20 or 30 different utility owners. You have to manually go out and collect the data from each one of those 20 or 30 utility owners. Now we're talking about weeks, we're talking about months, and we're talking about multiple, multiple months. Not only that, bring all that data together and do the desk study and do the analysis to figure out how much of it is duplicates, how much of it is garbage, and the unknown part, how much of uh, the utility that is in the ground is not captured in those records, right? So we're talking about from a scaling and a timing perspective of real time to six, eight, 10, even 12 months in some cases. How do you keep up with um, new infrastructure? Steph. I can take that. Um, so our database has been synced to basically all the available public sources. So uh, realistically, any time a public source is updated, our database will update itself. So we say that the records are up to date within the last 30 days. And speaking of that, I think it's important to note what we are and what we aren't. Um, so we're a data company, and we are producing utility data, right? We're not, we're not a GIS company, and we're not an engineering company. So we're not replacing engineers, we're not replacing boots on the ground, and we're not 100%, but we're, replying, we're, we're supplying a, a very reliable, easy-to-access digital utility database that you can start early and easily with that kind of helps focus field investigation and helps focus the amount of time you're spending in the field um, doing validation. Interesting. This is a huge investment on your part to bring all this data into a single uh, source. Mm -hmm. So there's got to be a return on investment. What is like? What does the business model look like? Is, is it a subscription thing? Is it like a per use thing? What, tell me more about that. Yeah, so it's actually a, a, it's a great question. It's actually a combination. So 4M Analytics is a cloud-based SaaS uh, environment. And um, uh, so there is a annual subscription that comes along with that and that grants you sort of unlimited access, as many users as an organization wants, all the technical support, all the enhancements, you know, the typical software stuff that's provided as a part of a uh, subscription. And then there's a second piece of it, and this is where an organization really has a lot of control about, uh, about the budget and about the spend that they have with us, which is what we call consumption. So an organization might use 4M for a single five-mile project, and they will pay us for our data services on that five-mile project. Or 
an organization might decide over the course of this next year, we're going to use 4M analytics on a thousand miles. And so they will, huh. they will order basically a thousand miles worth of mapping as a part of the agreement that we put in place. Hmm. Interesting. And what is the deliverable? Like, what do they, what do they get for that? Is it a, what, what, what is it? Something georeferenced? Is it a CAD file? Is it a KMZ file? Um, what, what are you providing? Yeah, let's talk a bit about how the environment looks like. Um, so as my colleague Stephanie will say, it's easier to order utility data rather than order an Uber. So you literally have a web product, you log in, you draw your, your area, and on the spot, in real time, you will get instantly utility data on the spot via the web interface that we created. Now, the system is agnostic. So you always have this toggle environment first between GIS and CAD. So you can also even see the, our data in a CAD environment. Plus, you can download and export the data. So we can come as GIS, AutoCAD, MicroStation files. So anything between the shape, KML, KMZ, up to the DXF, DGN, DWG files. So you can just take the data and implement that into your systems. So, Sean, do you ever wish that you could have a weekly cup of coffee with a like-minded survey professional? Actually, I have wished that. <laughs> I'm sure you have. I am here to tell you that you can do just that by participating in the Virtual Mentoring Mondays program. What is that like? Think of Mentoring Mondays as the weekly office hours of the surveying profession. And the cool thing is you can find out more by simply going to mentoringmondays.xyz. And while we're on the topic of becoming the best surveyor ever, you also need to check out Wisdom Wednesdays. Oh, really? Have you ever thought about how awesome it would be to have a book club specifically for land surveyors? You know, I have thought that that would be a really good idea. <laughs> I thought you have. And our good friend Trent Keenan has once again beat you to the punch with his Wisdom Wednesdays group. Wisdom Wednesdays is a great opportunity to read survey-specific books and have a weekly interactive conversation about each informative chapter with like-minded professionals. If you're interested and want to find out more, go to wisdomwednesdays.xyz. All right. Well, you you got you're talking to a lot of surveyors, so we have to ask the question about accuracy. You mentioned pulling it into a CAD environment. You know, what's the uh, what can you expect? What do you you know? How close? What kind of accuracy can you can you get from from the, from the map? Yeah, and I think to add to that, like, what what is the liability that mm. you take on? Yeah, let me. I'll address the liability. Um, so because we are not an engineering firm and we did not uh, sort of uh, position ourselves to displace the engineering processes around utility, the field validation around utility, uh, what that means for us in terms of liability, we take on liability that any other software company would take on. Here's our data and here's our platform. It's your job as an engineering firm or a utility owner uh, to validate the data. Now we're there to help you and support you. And let me set the bar in terms of uh, accuracy, and then I'll have Roz correct me. Uh, we are we are uh, within centimeters and millimeters of accuracy. Okay, Roz, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, With the following you, exceptions. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, here's the disclaimer. No, kidding. So, yes, Joe said something very important that kind of piggybacked on what Stephanie said. We are not an engineering firm. As a matter of fact, we don't want to be an engineering firm. We want to position ourselves as a tech, as a data company. Um, now, with that being said, accuracy-wise, because this is one of the first questions, we don't provide accuracy. We can say that based on our experience and based on the feedback that we're collecting from the field and also from our customers, we do see that in some cases we can get up to the inches accuracy, maybe up to a few feet of accuracy. We have a ballpark, but the idea is to understand why. Why we don't we talk accuracy, we talk confidence. Because of the visual evidence procedures that Stephanie mentioned before, we have the ability to indicate precisely on the, uh, on the uh, location precisely of those utility lines because we saw something that indicates on the presence of, of those lines. We saw something, meaning we saw an excavator digging a trench even 50 or 70 years ago, along with combining that with the records or the asbills or the test holes or the um, on-surface features. This allows us to say at a very high degree of confidence that there is a line over here. No, we're not replacing engineers, no. We are here to provide a reliable base map that should be used early as possible in the project lifecycle. If you would come to Jim Anspach, by the way, known as the godfather of SUE, SUE, Subsurface Utility Engineering, Jim will say, Forum provides utility data. Now, what is utility data? What is data? Data is like crude, okay? You need to mine it to create something from it. It's the same with, with utility data. And this is what Forum does. Forum provides reliable utility data for the PM, for the project manager, for the project engineer, or whoever to optimize his decision-making processes he needs to conduct in order to stamp the data. Does that make sense, by the way? <laughs> yeah, so I'll, awesome I'll jump question. in and say Oh, absolutely. It does make sense. Oh. Yeah. What about depth? Yeah. Is there any yeah, data I'll, I'll, maybe, associated with maybe depth? Maybe uh, 2D the data stage. or 3D data? Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We have the depth on every line in the United States. All right, over to you. Thank you, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Uh, yeah, it's a very good question. So depth is one of the most interesting things uh, for the industry. Uh, bottom oh, line, awesome. by the way, we're providing a 2D environment of data that includes whenever we have the information, we also have the Z component added in. How do we get this information? We're pulling this information from records and ASBOs that contains also TESOLs. In our backend, okay. we created a repository of ASBOs and TESOLs. Not only they were able to convert a PDF or a CAD file into a GIS environment on the spot, within a click of a button, we're able to digitize and extract the metadata and attributes from this ASBILT. So if the ASBILT contained TESOLs, we will extract the TESOLs with the depth component, utility owners, contact info, and everything related to that. So interesting. So do you have relationships with some of the larger uh, SUE companies? Because, you know, my thinking is, you know, you, you get in cahoots with these larger companies and you almost buy their data yeah, me, uh, let, that you let can me include give you an example. in I'll throw out your a database. And if they, uh, if they say something back to me, I'll, I'll, I'll take it. So we are partnered with a, a Sioux company called T2, and uh, they're pr pretty 
pretty, pretty big outfit, right? And the idea here is that how can we work with T2 to provide yeah. a, a better delivery to the utility owner? There's a couple of ways to achieve that. Uh, one scenario uh, currently that we're working on is mm. we will run our utility analysis on an area uh, and provide that data to T2, the folks over at T2. They will perform the, their Sioux services out in the field, potholing, locating, uh, field investigation work. We will then take their data, integrate that into our system, run it through the conflation engine that Stephanie talked about. And now you've got a data set that is not only field verified, but based on the techniques that we use, corrected, uh, and also additional undocumented lines have been added into that. Now, uh, Kent, if you're, the, if you're the utility owner that hired us to do that, I can give you a data set that is Sue verified and 4M validated. It's mind blowing. That sounds fancy. Yeah. Sounds official. <laughs> it, it really is, no doubt. So, is it is it um, in your database? Does it include like all wet utilities, all dry utilities, including fiber? Um, yeah, where, where, does it, where does it start? Where does it end? <laughs> it includes all utilities, and and the beautiful thing about it is we're not relying on relationships with utility owners to provide us the information because, as you, I'm sure, are really familiar with, if we were, it would take us months and months and months to get each individual project. So um, we are able to get this information and deliver it to our customers in a quick turnaround. So, yeah. Super cool. So I got a couple questions. Yep. Um, how do you deal with the 40-year-old set of plans that have been scanned six times and it's all fuzzy and some surveyor with terrible handwriting did the as-builts. Like, how is the magic machine picking, digitizing that? Let me ask you a question. I'm Do sure you know that comes AI up in a lot of these for? PDFs you see. Another... Uh, our, yeah, yes. It's, it's there's an joke. intelligence component. And I'm, yeah, yeah, okay. 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 <laughs> yeah, thank you, guys. No, it's another Israeli. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. no, um, I knew it. <laughs> I am kidding, of course. But yeah, uh, it's important to understand that when, we, when someone says AI or when we say automatic uh, processes, uh, everything is a hybrid engine. Yes, we cannot allow ourselves, or an engineer cannot allow himself to rely solely on a computer, right? So yes, most of the stuff that we're doing, even almost all, all the stuff we're doing are automatic. Yet, most of the company or the technical folks that we, ha we hired in Israel, uh, which are, is our R&D site, they're coming from the Geospatial Intelligence Agency. Now, those guys used to deal with the exact same things they used to do in the military, but for different purposes. And you can guess what for, of course, right? So basically, the way the system works is we have a machine, sure. machine learning algorithms that will basically indicate an output that will say, hey, this is a pipe, or hey, this is the test hole, this is a fence, this is a trench, etc." The analysts will need not only to QAC the data, but also to create the network around all this information, right? So we have, for example, the machine learning algorithm will output let's say 25 different manholes, as well as also trenches, 
as well as poles, valves, etc. The analysts will need to apply engineering logics or system rules that we created, again based on AI, but he will need to understand how all this network basically connects together to ensure the data is really not only comprehensive but reliable and makes sense. What are the, are there any security concerns about making this data available to the public? Let me, I mean, technically is it's publicly a, available. I mean, I it's guess it is. very difficult to get and. Yeah, and this makes it easy. Yeah. I mean, yeah, are there any concerns about anything like that? Let me, let me ask you a question. My kid, he's uh, six years old and he just learned how to take a picture with, uh, you know, with the iPhone and he goes outside on the street and he sees those, you know, those manholes, those valves or markings on the street that says basically everything. And he can take a picture and he can upload that to Facebook or whatever. Will that be okay? Sure. Yeah. So the data. So what's the difference? What's, what's the, the difference? difference? The, data's, yeah. uh, the data's out there. Okay. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, I get it. I get it. That makes sense. Yeah, no, but, but, uh, that, but that doesn't mean uh, we get asked, right? Uh, there are uh, folks out there that are concerned about that or want to understand where this data com comes from. You know, there's critical infrastructure, these types of things. So uh, although we do not rely on uh, the relationships with these utility providers, we are aware and we understand the, the sort of sensitive nature of it. And it is not sort of generally wide open to the public. You have to be a client of ours. Uh, and in doing so, uh, you know, you sign agreements and we, we can uh, walk you through sort of the security measures that we take to ensure that the data is, uh, you know, private and encrypted and all these different things. So. And what about private property? That's a great question. That is a great question. So I'm going to let me take a shot at that one. Is uh, private uh, like utility? Uh, you guys uh, know uh, as well Joe, as anybody. I'm gonna, Joe, I'm gonna mute myself right now. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like uh, you guys know as well as anybody that um, finding records in uh, private property is either impossible because it doesn't exist, or it's very very difficult to get somebody to release those uh, mm -hmm. records to you. But imagine for a second using some of the techniques that um, that Stephanie described. I can stack up on that private property images that go back years and years, and it might be hundreds of images, and then run change detection algorithms on it Crazy. that uh, I pick up things like trenching or I pick up uh, Kent in your backyard if I have an image of where uh, you installed your sprinkler system. And now I can apply the engineering logic to it and the algorithms that do the digitization and the GIS mapping to it. I could map for you on in your backyard, your sprinkler system, let's say. Right? Now apply that to the entire United States. So we are not solely limited by what's available in the pu public records. Let me give you an example. We did a project not too long ago where the challenge was, and it's an oh, energy buddy. company, the challenge was they're approaching farmers. <laughs> yeah. I thought they're it was approaching... my connection. Oh. Cut out just a little yeah. bit. Yeah, just a little bit. Yep. Am I cutting out? Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. 
Sorry. Hopefully I'm back now. Uh, yeah. So imagine a, a utility company or a uh, power co uh, energy company approaches a farmer or a rancher because they want to put solar or they want to put a wind farm. That rancher, that that farmer is not going to have what's in the ground all over that 10,000 acres or how, however large it is. But they are going to have drain tiles that they put in to control the water all over that property everywhere. So the challenge is, is that if a mm. energy company comes in and they start tearing into Long that back. farm to install, mm -hmm. to, to, did you lose me again? Yeah, First, yeah for about yeah. 30 seconds. <laughs> Sorry, Raj, you want to tell the story? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I will add a disclaimer. I think we got the chest, uh, even though. <laughs> I will get add a disclaimer that is important to understand. I mean, Stephanie kind of said that we're not perfect, okay? Um, of course, so private properties, by the way, we can have two ways to deal with that. One way is, yes, some, a lot of times we'll have information based on the methodologies that Joe tried at least to describe. So pulling up or piling on either public records that sometimes crosses also the private properties, but also especially using or relying on the imagery piece of our, our data, okay? So stacking out all the data and identifying the trenches, et cetera, this is what Joe started to, started to describe. So this is one thing. Second thing is that a lot of times our customer will come up and uh, provide us basically the data that they had prior to using us. They got this information perhaps from the private owners or from, I don't know, the locates they did uh, at the field or whatever. We're able to incorporate the data and turn that very quickly uh, into our database. Now we need a starting point. Once we have even at least like a, a schematic or something, a very high level record, we're able to complete or to supplement this information, not only by digitizing this information automatically, but also to visually verify it, to get a high degree of confidence. Now, I wanna put a disclaimer on that. It is not to say that we can provide data in all private properties. We will say upfront, whenever a user will submit a project in a difficult area where we lack of information, we'll say upfront, hey, this is not a good job to utilize mm. our product. Happens pr very rarely, I gotta say. Interesting. But yes. Um, so who, uh, you mentioned your clients a number of times. So who, you don't have to, maybe this is a privacy thing, whatever, but who are your clients or who are you marketing this to? Project yeah, owners, um, engineering firms, general contractors that operate in the civil mm. civil space. So heavy civil mm. projects typically, um, and some general contractors that work on hospitals like, and airports uh, uh, would be a DOT Department of Transportation types of projects. Absolutely. Yeah, I think they'd love this. Oh, absolutely. And I see so many other potential partnerships. You know, it's like. I think at Airworks, right? Airworks is building a national map of imagery, like mm -hmm. accurate right. imagery. And you know, why couldn't Airworks team up with 4M to have not only imagery, but the yeah, uh, the, the utility, the utility side of it as well? Yeah, I mean, there's so many strategic partnerships that come to mind. A uh, couple curveballs here. Um, what about micro trenching? You guys familiar with this? Is that like micro blading? It's it's like you know you, it it's a relatively new but instead of digging the the two foot wide utility trench it's uh, like a it's like a one it's it's like a one inch really thin 
trench oh, wow. and throw the oh, cable okay. in gotcha. it. It's meant for for fiber and coax and that thing. They just gotcha. gotta, you know, the, the trench is like this small. Yeah, yeah. Is that something you guys have picked up or had a, is on the radar for you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Joe kind of described very nice um, that we don't rely on a specific source, okay, specific type of source. At a high level, we are using or incorporating three types of sources. The first source is um, imagery, as Joe mentioned, going back in time 80 years ago-ish uh, with satellite and uh, imagery and also images that were taken by airplanes. That's the first source. Second type of source will be GIS systems, publicly available. And the third source will be engineering documents and engineering logics. Now, this is to say that Yes, we would be uh, low chances we can identify those micro trenches, trenches, but yet we complement or we supplement our, our data by additional types of sources. The same, by the way, if we transition this question and you would ask me, how do we deal with HDDs, right? That's a complicated issue. So yes, we won't maybe have the connection between the launch and exit points uh, very precisely, unless we have an as-built incorporated, but we will very easily identify the exit and launch points through our computer vision algorithms. Now, to connect the dots together, we will supplement that using records or as-built we uh, proactively created in our, uh, collected in our, in our repository. This allows us to create the full picture. Yes, maybe the connection between the two points won't be the most accurate, but in the metadata or in our attributes, we indicate also that degree of confidence that each and each line has. So the, pro the project engineer, and going back to what I said before, optimizing decision-making processes the PE needs to conduct or to perform, he gets the data. He can click on the line, he can see, okay, where did this line com come from? Is it um, solely rely on the public record or was it visually verified? If it is visually verified, okay, I wanna focus here my potholes that I, want, I, wanna, I, I need to conduct or focus my quality level B or GPR I wanna perform in the area. So, as a user, would you be able to know what source uh, the data came from? Like, how it, you know, if I see this line, it, will it say right in there, this came from the as-built or came from an aerial or, how, you know, as a PM, I would be able to know how you got me this far so I would know what further I needed to check? Right, let me, let me divide the answer to two different phases. These days, okay, now as we're speaking, you're able to click on the line and see the confidence level that came with it, okay? Okay. You can ask on demand by request, where did this line come from and we'll supply um, the sources. So you guys, well, he, he, he oh, might still be. Oh, is he still I... Yeah, there he is, there he is. Oh man, okay. That's okay. Do you want me to continue? Yes, please. <laughs> I... I, I can try again. Okay, so once you click on the line, you'll see in the metadata, what is the confidence level today? You can ask to get the data or the sources and the references on demand by request, and we will supply that. Moving forward, moving forward is a few months from now. The enhancement we're going to add, or we're looking to add right now, is to incorporate our sources visually via the system, via their interface. Envision that you can click on a line, see the source or sources that we pulled this line from, as well as also displaying the as-built or the GIS system that we pulled up this information via our interface. So you won't need to jump to a different screen. In other words, you're basically able to close all the different 20 tabs that you will, you will have in your Explorer into one tab that we'll oh. call Format. That's awesome. 
I, I, love, this, I love this idea. <laughs> um, it's inc- so badly needed. Oh, yeah. Um, so I got to ask personally. Yeah. You've done four states so far. When you, can you tell me when Arizona is going to be in there? Next batch, right? Um, yeah, but for sure by then, at the end of this year. Interesting. Um, Q4. Yeah, Q4. Sean, I'm really excited about this one. Oh, yeah? Yep. Dimensional Geomatics is the latest friend of the program. Russell White and his team with decades of experience in dimensional control, metrology, laser scanning, and drone operations. Dimensional Geomatics brings together a history of exceptional project execution. Uh, They really do. From a single technician to multiple crews in different locations, they field highly trained quality and safety focused personnel for their projects. Keyword there is safety. Absolutely. And Qualified personnel, whether it's laser scanning onshore or offshore, refinery or forensics, Dimensional Geomatics has the equipment, people, knowledge, and contacts to fully tailor a solution to meet your needs. Yeah, with over 20 years experience and 24-7 global support, they are just a phone call away. In addition, with accurate and up-to-date LiDAR, from one square acre to a thousand square miles, they can provide you with the deliverables you need. No job is too big or too small. To find out more, go to dimensional-geomatics.com. Nice. So you guys had to start. I said this is a massive investment, obviously. Um, and you st- had to start somewhere, start as a startup. And now you guys are like a known entity in, in the industry. Talk about that journey just a little bit. You know, if you would come to me uh, four years ago and you would ask me, what is my elevator pitch? I will say, do you know that every 60 minutes, a landmine claims another victim around the world? This is what I will say. And it kind of goes back to how you opened uh, the session, by the way. So we started, uh, uh, we established a company for analytics, leveraging our military background. Coming from two different agencies in the Israeli military. The one, the first one is the Combat Engineering Corp. I serve there as a former officer. Wow. Uh, we train to deal with any forms of explosive ordnance, IEDs, uh, landmines, etc. I clear landmines for a living about 10 years. Um, and then the second type of our company are coming from the Geospatial Intelligence Agency, as I described before. So when we established the company, or before we established the company, our CEO and co-founder, a guy that you got to know named Itzik Malka, uh, we used to work, I used to work, serve there uh, at, at his former company called 4M Defense, our previous generation of 4M Analytics. I used to run all the projects, or I used to be the project manager over there for landmine clearance. And he came to me one day, that happened about five, six years ago, and said, hey, Roz, I have this idea. I want you to try it. And I was like, Itzik, I have about 50 employees in the field, about have about 10 excavators, crushers, reloaders, etc. I won't have any time to deal with that. He was like, Roz, you're going to do it. Okay, so I did it. And we tested this idea that was supposed to reduce the suspected hazardous areas of landmines into the actual classified areas. Thus, we were able to reduce by approximately 80 to 90% the actual area that you need to really map out and clear landmines. Now, we had 100% success correlation and two minefields that we cleared in Israel between the, our prediction to the actual landmines we uncovered. And that was the trigger to establish the Forum <laughs> Analytics Company as it started as a spinoff initially from Forum Defense to create velocity 
to 4M Defense, which was a contractor that used to deal with landmine clearance. By the way, this is the biggest uh, or the largest um, um, landmine clearance company in Israel as we're speaking. However, we established 4M Analytics and we try to raise money from VCs, venture capital. No one wanted to invest because it doesn't make any sense for someone mm. to invest in something that maybe yeah. someday will explode and take their entire portfolio with them, right? So we pivoted after we heard the lecture provided by Jim Ansbach, which was very interesting, but I won't drag you into that right now because we don't have that much time. Uh, very interesting story. We heard, uh, Itzik sat in his, uh, in his home office and he heard this lecture. He was like, okay, we got to do something. We got to shift. We pivoted. And about uh, maybe a month later, we raised our first funding round. Uh, and that helped us to basically scale up the company and build uh, what we did so far. So That is awesome. Really? What a great story. Great story. Uh, and your website is amazing, by the way, which I want to give right now. It's 4mAnalytics.com is the website, correct? Yep. That's correct. That's and it, it's super user-friendly, super cool. It just, like, sucks you in, you know? Well, especially if you order these type of things, you know, I mean, part of right. what part of what I've been doing for for most of my career is drilling holes in the ground. So it's like, oh, man, I can just draw a box and not have to call somebody and then wait some time and then get a list of people that I have to call and verify and meet a person out there just to tell me he can only get it halfway. And it, I don't know. It seems like it makes a lot of sense. So. Yeah. Utility coordination is a freaking nightmare. Oh yeah. It's horrible. It's horrible. And this is a great solution to that. Um, well, I'll so be happy guys... to give you. Go for it. I said, I'll be happy to give you guys a personal demo after we get off the call. Maybe we'll set one up for next week. Ooh, <laughs> that'd be amazing. I have, I, here is Steph doing business. Here is, here is Steph doing business. There we go. There we go. <laughs> Never off the clock. But, you know, I, I have to say something. I have to say something. Speaking of uh, being sucked in, I, I forgot to cr congratulate you guys uh, for being the top 5% of podcasts out there. That's a big, that's a big deal. So who knew there were so many geoholics out there? No, we just got three more tonight. We just got three more. <laughs> well, I do have to point out. You did. I've been oh, listening all awesome. week. Thank so. you. It's awesome. But my, my, my co-host here is quick to remind me that even though we're in the top 5%, there's still 160,000 podcasts better than us. That just means we have room Pop to grow. Bubble. Pop my bubble all the time, I swear. <laughs> But no, I appreciate you saying that. Um, what 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 are you guys excited about? Yeah, what's you know, what's, what, or, and, what's like the next one year, five year? You know, after what, you get what, every state mapped, what what are you doing after that? Yeah, what keeps you motivated? <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Let me take a first shot at that. Since I uh, seem to be having utility strikes on my fiber network <laughs> here at my house, so uh, it. If you if you so there's this idea kicking around uh, and it's more of an interesting concept, which is the idea of crowdsourcing okay. uh, or pu public sourcing of utility data. So imagine for a second your you know your 12 year old goes out with their phone and and Roz kind of alluded to it earlier and snaps a picture of a manhole and uploads it directly into 4M, right? Imagine for a second that you have 20 or 30 million people who have access to your, your app that allows that to happen. Now you're talking about real power in the data collection environment, in the data conflation environment. So for me, uh, it's, a sm it's a pretty small thing, but it's super, super powerful and super, super exciting. 
uh, if we go down that path. Yeah, totally doable because like in, in those those images or those photos that you talk about are, you know, geo-referenced mm -hmm. plus or minus, you know, because they all have a, uh, you know, a Latin long basically uh, every time a photo is taken. So there's a ton of value there, I would think. Yeah, for sure. It's it's data is the new oil in today's that. world, and um, mm -hmm. you know the more the more data that we can find, uh, the the more uh, powerful our platform can become. Data is the new oil. I'm gonna I'm gonna trademark that one. I think. Oh yeah. You better jump on that one. How about you, Stephanie? What are you excited about? Oh, that's that's a. I don't know. That's a tough question. Um, just, to, you know what? This company is going to be a unicorn. If you know what that means in a startup environment, do you guys know what that means in a startup world? I don't actually. Go ahead and uh, enlighten yes, us. Yes, no. That's why, the name, that's why the name Utility Unicorn is so amazing. It means a, a company that achieves a billion-dollar value. So that's what I'm excited about. I think that that's, that's what we can do here. Totally so. doable. Absolutely. How about you, Raz? I agreed. <laughs> um, to put a smile on my face every morning I wake up and to see that we, what we envisioned um, a few years ago is actually mm. happening. And I'll kind of piggyback on what Joe said about how I see the company in a few years from now. And I really think that the crowdsourcing is something amazing and this is definitely where we'll go. But think about, in addition to that, think about 4M as you have Google, you have this, you know, this uh, thing in the yep. right uh, top or left corner, um, or right or left corner, you can click on it, you can see a lot of different features inside, right? So Google, yes, it is a search engine, but it's much beyond the search engine, right? Ads, Google Maps, and all those kind of stuff, same thing will happen with 4M. The, this reliable database we, we're creating is only the starting point. Yeah, and what... Just think about all the different applications that we can rely oh, on. That. Yeah, you can just be a, be a layer in Google Earth, and yeah. for sure. So, I mean, that's an interesting perspective, though, because at what point does Google like gobble this up? You know what I mean? Like, this is huge. Well, that's what Stephanie said. That's how that's yeah, how, you, how do you get the a one billion evaluation yeah. is uh, yeah. is is one good email from Google that says, "All right, we're, we'll, we'll we'll take all of it." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no, and that's a that's a great point. There's a documentary on Netflix, and now the name is escaping me. It's about the the founding of Google, um, and I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but it's the documentary, basically how they stole the technology from these like German yeah. kids that were programmers and the first ones to be able to develop the code. So I, I actually thought about that, um, but I think we're too far along at this point to be gobble gobbled up by anybody. So oh, okay, I like it. Yeah, that's awesome. What else? I, uh, <laughs> I anything else you guys want to get out there that we haven't touched on yet? No, maybe I'll just add one more uh, sort of concept into this, uh, what we look like in one year or three years or five years, right? Imagine not only the crowdsourcing capabilities, but the, uh, the impact that we can have on uh -huh. damage prevention, which you brought up at the beginning yeah. of the conversation. Uh, but um, imagine a utility marketplace. Hold so 4M is a platform, right? Uh, utility location is the number one thing uh, 
uh, for the damage prevention, right? It's the key. If you know where the utility is, then you can take preventive measures to prevent the damage on that. But um, think of the ecosystem around utilities in general uh, and go on to 4M and you can locate the, uh, the utilities and you can get all the metadata associated with the utilities. But now you're doing utility route planning, you're doing uh, project planning, relocation planning, and now you can order the materials you need right through the <laughs> 4MAP platform, or you can order the services that you need. So map a project, get the utility data, hit the, I need Sue validation on here. So hit the button and it sends out a, a work order to a suit partner firm that says, here's the scope, go validate it, upload your data back into here, and now you can run an estimate or you can do a, a bid package or you can order the materials directly from the 4M platform. So it's really uh, unlimited what, where we can go and what we can do with the foundation being the, the ability to, to deliver the utility data sets in real time. Yep. Um, what about uh, AR? Maybe is there an AR application here where I can put on my 4M goggles and go outside and see it in real time? I think you want to hear uh, Joe's answer, not mine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Joe's going to so. say yes. It'll be there next week. <laughs> Roz, what do you got? <laughs> uh, so I, I think I'm back. So give us a week and uh, our, our amazing engineering team is going to have something in place. No. Um, okay. So, so right. our, That's a great idea, Sean. Well, our it. approach to that is companies like Trimble, for example. Uh, okay, just, that's just because Joe broke, um, I want to say something. They, they're already oh. doing this. So... The ability to part, partner sure. with companies that have already broken that ground, uh, it's very, very easy uh, to connect our data to an AR environment or a 3D modeling environment. Yeah, yeah that's awesome. Really good stuff. Uh, Stephanie, any last words? Oh, no. Just thanks for having me. This is my first time on a podcast, obviously. So <laughs> I'm a little bit starstruck. You guys did I'm awesome. at a loss for words. <laughs> no, you did great. You did great. <laughs> oh, that's great. How about you, Roz? Yeah. Close us out here, buddy. I'll, I'll just say that there's this very famous joke on a very famous company in Israel. I won't say the name of it, but they operate in the defense sector. And they're uh, basically producing or manufacturing a lot of different equipment, robots, etc., and all this kind of fun stuff. And there is the famous joke about their sales reps that are going to their clients and say, with this pitch and mock-ups or whatever, and say, hey, we build a flying tank that has wings that you can operate autonomous and whatever. And they close the deal, and then they go back to the office and say, hey, hey, we just closed this deal. How can we make that happen? So I was here. <laughs> so I was here, I was here to balance. No, I'm just kidding. No, this, this was really fun, by the way. This is my, also my first time here in the podcast. So thank you for the opportunity. It was very fun. Thank so. you guys for being here. Y'all did a great job, and I'm so glad we were able to pull this together. Yeah, absolutely. This is so exciting. My yeah. my head is like the oh, wheels yeah. are spinning. So many different. We always know right when now. we have a good show when we get to the end, and and me and Kent are like, oh, I have like a thousand other questions. We, we got to connect this. them with this person. <laughs> yeah, this exactly. Person. Yeah. Oh man, so good. All right. Well, again, thank you guys. It's been great. We really appreciate you taking the time to join us. 
Thank you Should so we much. say Mazel Tov? Okay. <laughs> Please do. Is that what we say, Roz? Mazel Tov? Mazel! <laughs> <laughs> All right. Adding value and making friends once Cheers. again. If anyone would like to be a guest on a future show, shoot us an email at info at thegeoholics.com. Follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Yes. Full Trunk Powerful, available everywhere. I can't wait to add this to the playlist. Oh, yeah. Until next time, if you're not having fun, you're not living. Data is the new oil. The data is the new oil. Go Salukis. <laughs> of course. Most importantly, be safe and healthy. It's so powerful.